Hi, this is Sedge Thompson. Welcome to this special audio highlights podcast from West Coast Live. For more information about our shows and other guests and podcasts, wcl.org. My next guest here on the, the broadcast has written bestsellers in Ireland, including The Wish List and Benny and Omar. And I first came across him when we were uh, doing our show from the Edinburgh Book Festival last August. And my son Henry and I went into the, the back of a reading hall on a very rainy afternoon in Edinburgh. And it was jam-packed with people laughing and rolling around. And uh, he was uh, reading from his Artemis Fowl series. Will you please welcome Owen Colfer to West Coast Live. Former fifth grade teacher who as a kid you used to write plays for your friends to perform, much to their protestation? Uh, yeah, I was very interested in the Vikings, so I get my friends to come in and murder and pillage, and they would have much preferred to be murdering and pillaging outdoors, but <clears throat> and in the end I always lived. Everyone else died. <laughs> it was the only way I could be popular, was, uh, was through fantasy. So, like Carol Hughes, you also had a rich fantasy life growing up. Well, I did. Uh, I had five brothers, so something was always going wrong in our house. Uh, so you had to have a rich fantasy life just to survive. Um, so who ate the biscuits? Well, this dog came in, opened the press, took the biscuits, wrapped them up and left. So that's where the fantasy came from. And that's where the biscuits went, of course. It was the dog. It was a Labrador, I remember clearly. <laughs> where, how did uh, the, the creation of Artemis Fowl come into your head? Well... That's, uh, I got my MasterCard bill one month, and I said, well, I've got to do something. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, that's when I seriously started writing. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I was always very interested in literature, in villains, um, and I thought the villains were some of the best characters in the books. Um, for example, uh, Captain Hook. I really liked Professor Moriarty and people like that. I thought they were much more interesting than the heroes, so... I decided I would give one uh, center stage, and, and that's where Artemis came from. And Artemis starts out as a 12-year-old. By this book, he's now a 13-year-old uh, of independent means. He lives at Fowl Manor in Ireland. Um, and he's not what you would call a well-behaved lad. No, it's a work of total fiction. As, as we all know, 12-year-old boys are wonderful creatures uh, <laughs> who, lo who love being tidy, washing themselves, all things like that. Their personal hygiene is high on their list. So Artemis is totally fictitious. But what boys often say to me is, I would love to live like this. This guy has millions of dollars. He's got a seven-foot bodyguard. He's got a jet, a plane, and he just sits around all day uh, planning crimes. It's a total uh, wish fulfillment for boys, I think. Yeah. And, uh, but part of the, the darkness of this is that Artemis's father has disappeared and he's trying to uphold what he believes his father would do. Yeah, it's true. There's the kind of the struggle within him. At his heart, he doesn't really want to be a criminal, but this is what he feels his father would want him to do to carry on uh, the criminal activity. So he's, uh, he plans all these horrible kidnappings and, and thefts, but at the end, when it comes down to making a moral decision, he occasionally makes the right one. There, uh your, your language has a very Joycean Irish fun with it. I mean, you're playing with language all the time throughout the book, which is, for me, reading it aloud to Henry is, is one of the great pleasures of it. Uh, and, for instance, we 
chortling over the, the name of the, the, the company of the current villain in the Eternity Code. He works for the company called Fission Chips. Yeah, I thought that was nice. And so, you know, silicon chips, fission, fission chips. You know. I thought it was good. My favorite one, um, and nobody got this for, for a long time, uh, was Artemis contributed it and, uh, an article to a psychologist journal, and he used the pseudonym F. Roy Dean Schlipp. And I, <laughs> no, I was laughing for weeks about that. But uh, no, nobody got it, so. Which book was that in? I think that was the second one, The Arctic Incident. The second one, incident. The Arctic Incident? Yeah, yeah. The, the, uh, I remember when the, when the books first, first came out, there was, of course, always uh, all the hoopla about uh, Harry Potter, and people would sort of compare Harry Potter. And I remember my first sort of sense of, of Artemis Fowl. People were sort of comparing it in, in ways and saying, well, Harry Potter is this good little kid, and then here's this Artemis Fowl kind of. And as if they were similar in some way, but different heroes. But they're actually quite different experiences in every respect, except for the fantasy part of another world. I think it's unavoidable to be compared with Harry Potter these days. I, I remember when I was in Edinburgh, or speaking about Edinburgh, there was a book released about being homeless in Edinburgh. And the newspaper article said, and J.K. Rowling lives in Edinburgh. <laughs> and there was just no way out. So before my book came out, I was the next Harry Potter. And then they read the book, and it was nothing like Harry Potter. So now I'm the anti-Harry Potter. It, it, there's just no escape. But it's, it has also done me a lot of good. People do pick up the books on the strength of that. And then hopefully you hook them, and they'll read the rest. When you, uh, when you began The Artemis Fowl, did you envision a series? Has it become a series, uh, kind of unexpectedly? No, I had uh, envi envisioned a series, and I'd actually written the first two and a half books before the first one came out, which is a big gamble. You write two and a half books, and then nobody wants the first one. Um, so it was always a series because I saw it as a, a development. Um, this guy would go from... B My theory on him is that he's a hero in the making, but he's not quite there yet. Like most people, he's doing his best every day. Um, unlike most people, he is kidnapping leprechauns, which uh, <laughs> is a little step to the left. But, and, uh, but these leprechauns can really fend for themselves. The leprechauns have got a, uh, you know, this, uh, this fairy technology that far surpasses any human. You, you refer to humans as mud people, and, and the fairies make some very pungent commentary about human behavior through history. There's quite a lot of pungency in the book. Um, <laughs> there's a dwarf with a bowel problem, which uh, you don't see very much. Uh, but One of Henry's favorite characters, though, particularly when he, he consumes vast amounts of clay as he tunnels. Yeah. What? Mulch Diggums. Mulch Diggums. I like the name Mulch Diggums because mulch being a fertilizer and then digging is what he does. So basically he digs and fertilizes and that's all he does. <laughs> <laughs> There's a part where if he breaks wind, it creates great havoc in the near field. That's right, and I used this uh, to get revenge on a brother who was annoying me. Uh, I took one, his name is Niall, and I took one letter of his name, changed it to Niall, and made him into a goblin and had his head blown off by dwarf wind. So, but they made me take that out. They said it was too, um, too much. Dead. Kids don't like gross stuff, apparently. So. No, apparently not. No, no. So, uh, but as you envision, I mean, for instance, in the in the in the new book, the Eternity Code, and the Eternity Code being a password that that locks this cube. Artemis Fowl has taken fairy technology, and has created this cube that has amazing properties that would make uh, Larry Ellison and Steve Jobs and Bill Gates do just about anything to get their hands on it. And that's the kind of 
evil villain you've put together in Spiro. It's kind of a very modern story. Um, you hear a lot of stories about the big, comp big companies uh, taken out and buying little dot-com companies. And you also hear stories about people repressing technology for a fee. And that's what this is about. Artemis is going to hold back his technology um, for um, a fee from this guy Spiro. But Spiro decides uh, there is a better way. And the better way is to take, take the computer. So that's what uh, drives the story. And so this Artemis Fowl, who's now 13, is extremely bright. Um, he has uh, a sense of uh, scruples that, as you say, is still in the formative age. But he's also a wheeler-dealer in the world. Um, and let's see, when, when you teach fifth grade, is that about 12-year-olds? Yeah, that's about 12-year-olds, yeah. And they're, um, I mean, people often underestimate 12-year-olds. I mean, anyone who works with 12-year-olds realize that they are just as smart as your average adult but all they lack is a little bit of experience. I remember um, one adult saying to me, you know, I've read your book and it was okay, but I don't, uh, I don't think children will understand all the computer technology. <laughs> and like the undercurrent there was that that person didn't understand it because kids have uh, absolutely no problem. Yeah. The, uh, the original, uh, the, the first in the, in the Artemis Fowl series, as, as your other books do, take us to different exotic locales. Uh, the first book, as, as I recall, opens in Ho Chi Minh City. That's right. Uh, I wanted to think of the most exotic place I could, I could think of, and that, that was it. So I do a lot of research on the internet if I haven't actually been there. And uh, it's great to meet people from those cities who say, well, you know, that was a really good description. Again, it's wish fulfillment. Kids would love to go to these places. I remember when I was a kid reading a series called... Uh, the adventures, and there was the gorilla adventure, lion adventure, mountain adventure, where these kids went all over the world. And I thought uh, this was absolutely fantastic. And, and when I was 12, like many people, I was reading um, Stephen King and Robert Ludlum and Jack Higgins and all of these people. Uh, so I saw no reason to uh, dumb it down for kids because I reckon if I was reading adult books at 12, so are most other kids. So all I did was try and make it appropriate. Do you have another question, Henry? No? All right. He's been very curious in seeing you. I can see that, by the way. He's crawling around <laughs> the chair. But um, are you okay? He calls, he calls him Artie, Artie Fowl. Excellent. Yeah, A nickname. Perfect. How are you, Henry? You okay? Henry, you can, uh, if you aren't going to ask a question, you'll, you'll be okay there? All right. I told uh, Owen earlier today that the reason that we're doing the show today was because I wanted to uh, originally interview Elaine Pagels, um, and, but Henry didn't want to do a show over his birthday weekend. It was a sort of a present to him that'd be around. But then I said, well, what if I do a show if Owen Colfer is on it? He said, yes. Yes, he was very excited to have you here. I wish, what, yeah, I wish you'd come up and talk to me then. What is, what is it uh, best about the, the Artie Fowl books that you like? You like Mulch Diggums. Anyone else? You like, you like Holly Short, the fairy, the fairy cop? I mean, it, the idea that fairies would have this sort of very vigorous police force to defend themselves, uh, <laughs> hidden 200, mile, 200 yards, 200 miles yeah. underneath stainless steel between our surface and their world. It's completely believable. I mean, I don't see any... I mean, if, we're, if we believe in things we can't see, like germs, why can't we believe in the fairies? Uh, but it, it's very important to make... Uh, these things for the 20 minutes that you're reading them 
uh, believable. And I thought this would only work if the fairy characters were three-dimensional. And I imagine them very much to be like, uh, when I was a kid, we were only allowed to stay up to watch two shows after nine, and that was Roots and Hill Street Blues. So for me... <laughs> I, yeah, okay, you're ahead of me. Uh, so... For me, it's like Frank Farillo and Animal and all these guys are shrunk down to a meter high and they're underground fairies. That's the way I look at them. And Foley, the, the character uh, F-O-A-L-Y, not Foley as in sound effects, but Foley as in, I guess, a fool, who is the centaur who runs the technological world. Yeah, that's another one of my sad puns. A half horse called Foley. <laughs> I laughed. Uh, Laughed, I nearly did, but uh, <laughs> but he's the technological guy, and he he runs the he runs all the security operations, and uh, and I like to give these guys personality. I mean, I think in a lot of um, fairy cartoons and books, the fairies kind of um, don't have much of a personality, but in the more modern ones, I'm very glad to see um, that they're developing more 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 three dimensionally, which is I think is much better for the book. Yeah. Could I have you read the prologue from? your new book, The uh, the Eternity Code, just to give a sense of how you shaped the beginning of the story. Okay. Excerpt from Artemis Fowl's diary, Disc 2, Encrypted. For the past two years, my business enterprises have thrived without parental interference. In this time, I have sold the pyramids to a Western businessman, <laughs> forged and auctioned the lost diaries of Leonardo da Vinci, and separated the fairy people from a large portion of their precious gold. But my freedom to plot is almost at an end. As I write, my father lies in a hospital bed in Helsinki, where he is recovering after a two-year imprisonment by the Russian mafia. He is still unconscious following his ordeal, but he will awaken soon and retake control of the foul finances. With two parents resident in Fowl Manor, it will be impossible for me to conduct my various illegal ventures undetected. Previously, this would not have been a problem, as my father was a bigger crook than I. But mother is determined that the fowls are going straight. However, there is time for one last job, something that my mother would not approve of. I don't think the fairy folk would like it much either, so I shall not tell them. And that's the prologue to the Eternity Code. Foul Manor, uh, you know, M-A-N-O-R, foul, F-O-W-L. I mean, it's there, it's it, there. It's all, it's all bad puns, really, isn't it? The whole, <laughs> the whole, the kernel of this book um, all came from one day I was sitting around thinking about leprechauns, as you do in Ireland, and... <laughs> that's the main Irish uh, occupation. Give me a Guinness so I can think of some leprechauns. Uh, uh, and I thought leprechaun, wouldn't, that sounds a bit like leprechaun, and that could be lower elements police reconnaissance division. <laughs> and so that was the basis of a whole trilogy so far. <laughs> and leprechaun uh, is, is very well. I mean, there are magic powers. I mean, it's for an adult, I suppose as much as a 12-year-old likes what Artemis Fowl could do, it's the powers of the fairy world that are entrancing to an adult. I wanted to make the powers kind of limited. I didn't make it, want to make it so fairies could just do everything because then Artemis could never win. So they have very limited powers. They're always getting stuck without their powers. It's a bit like car keys. They leave them somewhere, they run out, they don't know what to do. And, uh, and some of the powers, of course, are utterly disgusting, uh, which draws in uh, the male audience. Who <laughs> 
And the female, I have to say, I've been asking some of the little girls who come to my readings, was the story, was it gross, or was it too gross for you? And they say, oh no, we want more grossness next year, please. <laughs> When you, when you do a reading at a, at a bookstore, uh, how long a section do you read from a book? I don't tend to read much. I tend to tell stories um, to the kids. And, uh, so I would maybe read two pages and I would spend the rest of the hour just talking and uh, telling jokes and making uh, a string of bad puns. And, uh, and we're just having as much fun as we can pack into that hour. Yeah. Uh, Owen Colfer will also be at Cody's on 4th Street in Berkeley tonight at 7 o'clock. Uh, how, how, I have not read The Wish List or Benny and Omar. They're, fanta they're fantastic. They're fan of course. <laughs> but, but do they have the same kind of uh, arty foul kind of uh, sense to them? I'm glad you said foul there. When you said arty, I thought something else was coming. Uh, <laughs> but no, they don't. Uh, uh, the Benny books are very realistic and they're quite um, sad in places, although they are mainly comedies. The Wish List is a ghost story. Um, about a young girl um, who gets killed on page five. Six pages, very short book. Uh, <laughs> no, but she gets to come back and try and put to rights what she did wrong, so that's a bit spooky. But it's also the main theme, I think, running through all of them is that I try to pack in as many jokes as I can. Yeah. Well, and, and you've done it. The books are called Artemis Fowl, and they are, uh, the current one is called The Eternity Code. The, uh, the others are The Arctic Incident, and the first one, just Artemis Fowl alone. Owen Colfer, the name looks like E-O-I-N, yeah. which, which fooled many of us. We had no idea quite how to pronounce it. I'll take anything. Eon, I quite like. It's very spacey. Eon? It's quite spacey. Yeah. Um, so I'll, I will respond to that. Yeah, yeah. Your, your brothers like being uh, portrayed in one way or another in the book? They're delighted. I thought they'd be upset, but they're so happy they are sharing it uh, with their lawyers. So we'll see how that turns out. The books are uh, published by um, Miramax in this uh, country, Hyperion Miramax, which suggests they smell a movie in the future. Well, they do. It's in development. So sometime before the middle of the millennium, apparently, that's going to that's gonna be a... Thank you very much. Owen Colfer here on West Coast Live, reading at Cody's Books in Berkeley tonight at 7. This is Edge Thompson. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Try out others from West Coast Live right here. And we look forward to having you in one of our audiences one day. For more information, wcl.org.